snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish, Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture and writers in China and around the globe. Discovering literature and following the stories behind your favorite authors. This is Ink and Quill. I'm your host, Yang Yong. French writer Alphonse de Lamartine once said, "Music is the literature of the heart. It commences where speech ends." Yes, versatile and so touching. Music helps us navigate in the world rife with contradictions and dissonances. Just like our essential needs for food and sleep, the urge to sing, to dance, and to listen to music is deeply ingrained in our human nature. But how can we better enjoy and appreciate various music genres? To seek out the answers in today's program, let's go to some writings which may make you want to engage more with music and crank up your turntable. Dear listener, listen to this piece of cantata carefully. Even if you cannot name the music, have you found its opening notes surprisingly familiar? In the eyes of Chen Li, a Taiwan-based music aficionado, even a layman could recognize this dramatic, stirring piece, either from films or TV shows. Years ago, the BBC conducted a research which asked British audiences to pick out their favourite classical music piece of the past 75 years. Then, all for Tuna, German composer Karl Orff's composition from his 1937 oratorio *Camina Burana*, was named the UK's most widely heard classical track. Why does it sound so familiar? Well, that's because even if you have never heard of the vocal composition *Camina Burana*. You must have learned the piece or fortuna somewhere from TV commercials. Literally translated into English as "Oh Fate," "Oh Fortuna" is the staple of Orff's repertoire. Transformed from a medieval poem into music, the piece laments the fickleness and impermanence of fortune, resonating with the old saying that fortune and misfortune are two buckets in the same well. I think throughout our life we all experience being smitten, either by someone's eyes or something or some smell. But for me, it was the time when I could afford the original records of Karl Orff's trilogy of cantatas. When I listened to that chorus from Or Fortuna for the very first time, I was infatuated. Born and raised in Hualien of Taiwan, Chen Li is known primarily as a prolific poet. Published over two dozen books of poetry and prose, he is widely recognized by critics as one of the most innovative and exciting poets writing in Chinese today. Teaching English at local junior high schools and universities, Chen has also indulged himself into the passion of translation. Over the years, 
he has introduced the works of some brightest names in the poetry pantheon, such as those from the late Nobel laureates Wiesława Szymborska and Pablo Neruda, as well as American poet Silva Plath. But few know that the metrist is also a committed music dilettante. I have a large collection of music. Anyone visiting my house for the first time would be shocked. Some even ask me, "Hey, do you own a record shop or what?" Because there are thousands of records, videotapes, and DVDs stacked against the walls. I also own ten video recorders, so I can videotape all the performances I like. Yet, among all the musical genres he listens to, Chen has taken a special liking to classical ones, particularly opera and choral music. Here is one of his favorite arias from Italian composer Giacomo Puccini's renowned four-act opera *La Bohème*. I remember reading the memoir of Luciana Pavarotti, one of the top three tenors of the 20th century. In his autobiography, Pavarotti said he made his stage debut as the leading character Rodolfo in the opera La Bohème. The title of the opera could be translated to English as Bohemians, since the story focuses on four vagrant young artists living in a garret. On a cold winter night, they all intend to go to a bar, but the poet Rodolfo has not finished writing his poem yet, so he stays behind. When Rodolfo is just about to put the final touch on his poem, a pretty neighbor, Mimi, knocks on his door and asks him to help her light the candle. As she enters the room, she suddenly feels faint. Rodolfo revives her, then helps her to the door and relights her candle. But Mimi returns immediately as she realizes she lost her key. As the two search for it, both candles are blown out. Rodolfo finds the key and slips it into his pocket, pretending it is still lost. In the moonlight, he takes Mimi's icy cold hand and asks if he could warm it for her. I used to tell my students that this reverie reflects the art of love and be loved, as well as the tricks of seduction. I find this aria deliriously captivating, and I think the entire libretto feels like a collection of poems. So it sure would be a shame if you watched the opera yet knew nothing about the lyrics and its meanings. The desire of conveying the hidden messages and implications in lyrics has prompted Chen Li to put pen to paper in his collection of music essays, Songs of the World, or in Chinese, 世界的声音 The poet not only offers the life sketches of over two dozen musicians across continents and generations, but also provides the original lyrics of over two hundred songs with their Chinese translations. I agree that one of the many benefits of music is that you don't have to understand the lyrics to enjoy it. You can fall in love with the same song performed by various singers. Sometimes you may not know much about a song, but if you listen to it long enough, it will tug at your heartstrings. But I still believe that it never hurts to do a little bit of homework and do a background search when digesting a new piece of music. 
a one-volume compendium that fuses together the history of music, musical biographies, and lyric interpretations, is the book *Sounds of the World*, which no doubt can convert any casual listener into a more knowledgeable, perceptive music lover. As Chen Li tirelessly dissects the wordings and phrases of nearly 200 musical compositions, he also lays bare some less-known yet equally fascinating works of some of his favorite maestros. For example, by reading the librettos of Czech composer Leo Szyonarczyk's quartets and operas, we will learn how his fictionalized unrequited love for a married woman almost 40 years his junior fueled his passion in musical expression, eventually elevating him from an obscure composer to an international sensation. Flipping through the pages, readers will also get a taste of the barbed humor in Russian composer Dmitry Shostakovich's works, which is usually disguised by his conservative style. Or understand why listening to the music of French composers Gabriel Faure and Claude Debussy would make you better catch on the symbolic beauty of French poet Paul Verlaine's verses. But Sounds of the World is not merely an essay collection on classical music. After exploring a vast repertory of operas and choral music. The author has also showcased his great malleability in music. In the second half of the book, Chen Li tries to light outward on many other songs and musical genres he finds satisfying, ranging from China's oldest existing classical music Nan Guan to the albums of the legendary rock band The Beatles. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. 每一个时代都有一样不一样的感性跟理性在。There are different standards of sensibility and rationality in every age. For example, a contemporary opera might weird you out, since sometimes the form could be adapted into a more postmodern setting. But it doesn't matter; you can always find a version you like. So various art forms teach us to respect and cherish those that are different. Therefore, our society could be more diverse and inclusive. For anyone lacking the time or willpower to bury themselves in the lofty music encyclopedia, Songs of the World provides a compact and cerebral alternative, since each essay gives readers a gateway into music and opens their ears in the whole new way. However, it would have benefited from a greater emphasis on personal reflections. As Chen Li scholarly examines the bibliographic profiles and compositions of many composers and songwriters, he seems to detach himself from the music he claims to be so deeply in love with. The absence of human touching his pulses might put some music enthusiasts off. Moreover, a poet at heart, Chen can occasionally dilate a little bit too eloquently on the poetic expression of the lyrics rather than the music itself. Making his book look more like a self-indulgent poem anthology. For sure, the book *Songs of the World* appears to be muddled in certain places, with too many lyric translations and interpretations, which made these concert listeners relatively new to classical music. 
But if you are patient enough to ponder, you may understand the correspondences between poetry and musical expression, and how great art can free itself from the restrictions of various artistic domains and touch our hearts with its concomitant pain and joy. Explore the life of great wordsmiths. Share their stories beyond the pages. Ink and Quill brings you the voices of writers and book lovers. You are listening to Ink and Quill. I'm your host Yang Yong. American journalist Maya Berger once said, "Every man reads his own meaning into New York." E.B. White believed that the city is like poetry. While in the eyes of John Lennon, New York is what Rome used to be, but for Taiwan music critic Chen Dezheng, the Big Apple is the capital of rock and roll and the asylum of his heart. Coming up, Doris Wong will lead us to flap through Chen's debut "All Tomorrow's Parties" or in Chinese, 给所有明日的聚会 to explore the Empire City and its affinity with rock music. Ram the night of the wild west, leaving the towns I love the best. Thought I'd seen some ups and downs till I came into New York town. If London is a watercolor, then New York is an oil painting. You may not agree with British playwright Peter Schaeffer's metaphors, but to a certain extent, you have to admit how intense, luscious, colored, and flashy New York is, particularly in terms of its music scene. The city has spread numerous superstars and tirelessly raced for artistic supremacy. New York Times said it was the coldest winter in 17 years. I didn't feel so cold then. Just like a magnet, the thriving musical atmosphere of New York City has drew many aficionados, including music critic Chen Dezheng, who initially planned to pursue a master degree in the UK. I listened to Britpop in high school and traveled to London in 1999, which I enjoyed a lot. But when I retired from my two-year conscript military service, I decided to treat myself by traveling to New York with a friend. We stayed there for one and a half months, and after I walked around Manhattan on my second day, I had already decided to study in New York because that call was too strong to resist. From Strawberry Fields, the memorial dedicated to John Lennon in Central Park, to the apartment building appeared on the cover of the album Physical Graffiti. Chen went on a pilgrimage to nearly every holy place in the heart of rockers. He even encountered many musical heavyweights, such as the guitarist James Iha of the Smashing Pumpkins, and the late massively influential songwriter Lou Reed. Just a perfect day. When I arrived in New York in 2003, Low Reed had just released his anthology "NYC Man," and a CD signing was to be held, which was an opportunity for me to meet this significant figure in the history of rock. However, when I waited in line, I was so nervous, cause Low Reed was always portrayed as a bad boy. I was worried if I would say something that offended him. 
But actually, he was a kind person who spoke slowly with a strong aura. When I met him for the second time, he introduced his Tai Chi teacher to me, since I am an Asian. Those memorable moments, events, and people all prompted Chen Dezheng to write blog entries, which laid a solid foundation for his debut book, All Tomorrow's Parties. For quite a long time, I had been thinking about assembling my life in New York into a book. So after two semesters, I intentionally recorded what happened and took many photos. Named after the Velvet Underground song, All Tomorrow's Parties leads readers roaming around the nooks and crannies of New York City. Written in a sort of musical travelogue manner, Chen takes us on a journey that is packed with dusty record stores, frisky live houses, and rebellious hipsters. Drawing from sporadic fragments of history, movie clips, and personal reflections, the writer poetically pictures the golden era of rock and roll with a touch of reminiscence and sentiment. Browsing through the pages, you can witness the downfall of the legendary nightclub CBGB, the spiritual home of American punk rock. Experience the gentrification of Ludlow Street, the favorite haunt for music lovers, and review the tragic end of Jeff Buckley, one of the greatest singers recognized by Rolling Stone. Although for many, much of New York's rich history in rock music has been fading out or has already disappeared, Chen Dezheng teases out what remains and captures the right spirit throughout the book. The present is the progressive tense of the past. Even though the people of today are going all out to expunge our past and the physical evidences of the history have been erased, I believe that what happened and those abstract stories. Will survive in the heart of amateur. That's probably why All Tomorrow's Parties has been highly praised by Dane Wareham, founder of Galaxy 500 and Luna, as an evocative urban anthropology. Written in a poetic and never touchy-feely language, Chen Dezheng's book is either a musical and personal history or a tribute to youth. Doris Wong introducing us to Chen Dezheng's All Tomorrow's Parties, a book dedicated to the rock music scene in New York City. German philosopher Friedrich Wilhelm Nietzsche once described the power of music like this: "Without music, life would be a mistake." So, in this special edition of Inconquil, we will introduce to you some riveting readings that might appeal to music lovers. If both classic music and rock and roll are not your cup of tea, how about some soothing ancient Chinese tunes? More to come, so don't go away. Snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish. Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture, and writers in China and around the globe. Every generation has its own soundtrack. In the West, people born in 1940s, 50s, and 60s, often referred to as baby boomers, are fond of Frank Sinatra and the Beatles, while their Chinese counterparts favored revolutionary model operas. But what about those living a thousand years ago? 
So let's follow Yao Youmei to check out the book Quotes of the Lyric Poems During the Tang and Song Dynasties. In 2012, a drama named Empresses in the Palace, or widely known as Zhen Huanzhuan, was aired in China, and soon dominated the big screen. Featuring the eventful life of a young girl in a royal harem, the hit TV series has enraptured many, not only with its gripping storyline, but also thanks to its melodious and retro interlude. But few know that the song is actually adapted from a verse written by Wen Tingyuan, a Chinese poet of the ninth century. Peng Yuping, a scholar at Sun Yat-sen University, says Wen's work had a deep impact on Chinese poetry. As a poet, Wen Tingyuan is not very famous, but his works laid the foundation of Chinese lyrical poems. Take this verse for example. It shows how a woman gets up, applies her makeup, and gets dressed. On the surface, it displays a daily scenario of a solitary woman, but underneath, the poetry expresses the dejection of an underappreciated and undervalued scholar, which was the major literary theme during the Southern Song Dynasty. Known as Ci in Chinese, the earliest lyric poetry could be traced back to the sixth century. In response to the popularity of foreign musical tunes derived from Central Asia, performers and musicians started to compose poems and lyrics that could be sung to certain melodies. Soon, the wave of this newly formed lyrical art swept the nation and became a cultural force among the literati from the 9th to the 13th century. Specializing in ancient Chinese poetry, Peng Yuping explains. Lyric poem is composed of many arias, named as cipai in Chinese. These arias have their set rhythm, rhyme, and tempo. Echoing those arranged tones, poets needed to make up their own lyrics. When we talk about pop songs, music stars, and groupies of today, actually it was the same case between the Tang and Song periods. In his latest book. Quotes of the lyric poems during the Tang and Song dynasties, or Tang Song Ci Ju Yao in Chinese, Peng picks out nearly 220 works from 62 poets and bards. Set in a chronological manner, this poem anthology not only provides abundant original pieces, but also meticulously examines the context, allusion, implication, and the mood of each verse. But by no means is the selection a boastful presentation of the writer's knowledge. Written in an objective and a sharp tone, Peng neither underestimates nor excessively praises the writings of a certain poet. Thumbing through the pages, you understand why Liu Yong, the first poet that devoted himself to enriched expressive technique of lyric poetry, exclaimed, "Even if there are thousand varieties of tender emotions, to whom could I impart them now?" Or empathized with the premier poetess Li Qingzhao when she was separated with her husband and a poor old dolorous verses. Here's an excerpt of her poem. The fragrance of the red lotus has faded away. 
Autumn chills seeped through my jade like mat. I loosened my silk robe to board my magnolia boat along. Who'd send you messages through the clouds? I look up for the wild geese, but in vain. As I returned information, my west chamber was full of moonlight. Although lyric poetry in China are generally separated into two different styles, bold and unconstrained versus graceful and restrained, the euphemistic poems no doubt occupy a much more important position. Written in a gentle, melancholy manner, ancient intellectuals expose their plights and sentiments of life, political setbacks, and a reflection on the society. On that note, it's time to wrap up today's program. Don't forget that there are always more interesting happenings in the literary world, and we will try our best to keep you posted. To learn more about us, you can follow our Facebook account China Plus, or simply download the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Yang Yong. See you next week.